It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 202, The Weeping Prophet Jeremiah and the Burned Scroll. Oh yeah, happy birthday. Five years, message to kings. Woo, happy birthday to you. All right, so um, I had all these great plans to do a five-year anniversary, happy birthday to Message to Kings. Um, but I think we're going to do it later. So we're going to do like a five-year special, but I think we're going to do it at a better segue in our story um, after Nebuchadnezzar's big fire um, in Jerusalem. And that'll be kind of the, the point where we take a long break or um, we segue in or we just do a five-year special a belated birthday uh, special. So we'll see how it goes. But um, here we go. Episode 202, The Weeping Prophet Jeremiah and the Burned Scroll. The book of Jeremiah is enormous and full of prophecies. It's rather verbose in its rebuke of the kings of Israel and the kings of the earth. And when Jeremiah was told to write all the words of his prophecies and to give it to the current king, it must have taken days. But this is what happened. Jeremiah fortunately had a scribe that would record his words, and he must have been a a speedy, productive scribe. Even more so, he must have been very bold to speak at the gates of the temple, and it must have taken forever. But he was obedient regardless of the cost in his time and his energy and the shame of the people staring at him and wanting to even curse him and eventually the king who would probably want him killed. Jeremiah 36. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah till now. Perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, they will each turn from their wicked ways, then I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. So Jeremiah called Baruch, son of Neri. And when Jeremiah dictated all the words of the Lord had spoken to him, Baruch wrote them down on the scroll. Then Jeremiah told Baruch, I am restricted, I am not allowed to go to the Lord's temple. So you go to the house of the Lord on a day of fasting and read to the people from the scroll the words of the Lord that you wrote as I dictated. Read them to all the people of Judah who come in from their towns. Perhaps they will bring their petition before the Lord and will each turn from their wicked ways. For the anger and wrath pronounced against this people by the Lord is great. Now his servant was bold, and he went forth and read aloud the words of the Lord at the temple. Now this must have caused a serious stir considering the priesthood was corrupted at this time. Jeremiah 36.8 
Baruch, son of Neri, did everything Jeremiah the prophet told him to do at the Lord's temple. He read the words of the Lord from the scroll. And in the ninth month of the fifth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, a time of fasting before the Lord was proclaimed for all the people in Jerusalem and those who had come from the towns of Judah. From the room of Gemariah, son of Shaphan, the secretary, which was in the upper court at the entrance of the new gate of the temple, Baruch read all the, to all the people at the Lord's temple the words of Jeremiah from the scroll. Now that the people were listening, when Micaiah, son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the scroll, he went down to the secretary's room in the royal palace, where all the officials were sitting. Elishama, the secretary, Deliah, son of Shemaniah, Elnathan, son of Akbor, Gemariah, son of Shaphan, Zedekiah, son of Hananiah, and all the other officials. And after Micaiah told them everything he had heard, Baruch read to the people from the scroll, all the people sent Jehudi, son of Nethaniah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushi, to say to Baruch, Bring the scroll from which you have read to the people and come. So Baruch, son of Neriah, went to them with the scroll in his hand. They said to him, Sit down, please, and read it to us. So Baruch read it to them. And when they heard all the words, they looked up at each other in fear and said to Baruch, We must report all these things to the king. Then they asked Baruch, Tell us, how did you come to write all this? Did Jeremiah dictate it? Yes, Baruch replied. He dictated all these words to me, and I wrote them in ink on the scroll. Then the officials said to Baruch, You and Jeremiah go and hide. Do not let anyone know where you are. So the officials, so it, it seems they he captured the people's attention, and then the officials now are listening in. Now the officials are almost forced to listen because the people's attention was there. Now, when he read to the officials, the officials had more fear of their king than they did of God. And the officials understood this would be also a death sentence for Jeremiah and Baruch, and they warned Baruch and Jeremiah to hide, which they did. But notice something here. All these layers and all these people and Elishama, Delaniah, El Nathan, Akbor, Gemariah, Zedekiah. I mean, all these layers are in this place. It, he had to speak to so many different people just to get close to the king. Jehoiakim was an autocratic ruler and he had created a police state of sorts, of his own choosing with his own friends and administration in charge. How far removed was he from even the voice of God that a prophet had to go through so many layers just to get his attention? Almost dismissed of true reality and functioning like old King Saul in the fields with his reaction and demon possession, completely non-acknowledging of the true importance of the situation and the godly rebuke, the king's reaction is disastrous. Jeremiah 36.20 After they put the scroll in front of Elishama the secretary, they went to the king in the courtyard and reported everything to him. The king said, Jehudi, they sent him to get the scroll, and Jehudi brought it to him from the room of Elisham the secretary, and read it to the king and all the officials standing beside him. And it was in the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in the fire pot in front of him. And whenever Jehudi had three or four columns of the scroll read, the king cut them off with the scribe's knife and threw it in the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear. 
nor did they even tear their clothes. Even though El Nathan, Deliah, and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. Instead, the king commanded Jeremiah, a son of the king, Sarahiah, son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, son of Abdiel, to arrest Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet. But the Lord had hidden them. So the king cuts the scroll with the scribe's knife. I kind of guess it like one of those letter openers. And he probably jabbed and ripped at the scroll to cut it into pieces. And then he piecemeal tore it and burned it in the fire. No one tore their clothes or repented or realized what was going on. I mean, they urged him not to burn it, but that's the most reaction you see. That the future word of God was actually being burned by the king. Then he ordered Jeremiah and Baruch to be imprisoned, but the Lord had hidden them. Oh, I just love that verse. But the Lord had hidden them. Doesn't that sound like Jesus in Nazareth? They picked up stones to stone him, and he disappeared amongst them in their midst. God is brilliant at hiding his people. Here's Jeremiah and Baruch. They're in Jerusalem. And as far as I know, he didn't hide them anywhere else. In hiding, the Lord commands Jeremiah to do it again. Jeremiah 36, 27. After the king burned the scroll containing the words that Baruch had written in Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write in all the words that were on the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, burned up. Also tell Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is what the Lord says. You burned that scroll and said, Why did you write on it that the king of Babylon would certainly come and destroy this land and wipe it from both man and beast? Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He will have no one to sit on the throne of David. His body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and frost by night. I will punish him and his children and his descendants for their wickedness. I will bring on them those living in Jerusalem and the people of Judah every disaster I pronounced against them because they have not listened. So Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to the scribe Baruch, son of Neriah. And as Jeremiah dictated, Baruch wrote on it all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and many similar words were added to them. Now, we don't know if the king burned these words, but we do know their content. Jerusalem and Israel would be judged at a level few can fathom. There's always way out of judgment, though, and God speaks to it. Is Jehoiakim willing to repent? I get the feel that Jehoiakim really was like a King Saul, obstinate, burning the word, a bit dull and hard-hearted, and potentially demon-possessed as well. Capable of horrible things like removing God's priesthood and corrupting it, killing prophets, and now burning the word. Yeah, he's a bad dude. A demonized king in charge of a country on the verge of collapse. The son of a great reformer, but still a man with ideas and dreams, but whose are they? Yet confined by a false faith and a lack of death to self. We have a horrible mixture and a catastrophe on the horizon. It's hard to imagine what judgments are reserved for kings who not only ignore God's call and purpose for their calling, but they become enemies of God and further go so far as to burn the word of God. We've got historical evidence what happens to characters who burn the word, Manasseh, Ammon, even Hitler and his book burnings. What's terrible about Jehoiakim is that 
He refused to even hear the judgments over him. He just burned it, refusing to hear what would happen to him for his crimes. Death was listed among them, and destruction at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, if he cared. Other words spoke against his faith in Egypt, which he was hoping for. You can imagine the special judgment reserved for a king lacking common sense and even a humble heart. But now we got a guy like this who commits crimes and sheds innocent blood and burns the word. Jehoiakim doomed himself in the fire. While half a world away, faith itself would be witnessed ten years from now with the fourth man in the fire. Jeremiah would continue prophesying from his hiding place in Jerusalem. Jeremiah 25. The word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So Jeremiah, the prophet, said to all the people of Judah and to all those living in Jerusalem, For twenty-three years, from the thirteenth year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid attention. They said, Turn now each of you from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord has given you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and to worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. But you... Did not listen to me, declares the Lord, and you have aroused my anger with your hands and what you have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones, and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Okay, so Jeremiah declares 70 years would be the time of exile for Israel. This time is actually dated to when Daniel was taken to Babylon and the first capture of Jerusalem by Babylon. Let's remember this prophecy about the 70 years. In fact, this entire prophecy becomes Daniel's intercessory mantle in Babylon. He takes this prophecy right here and he owns it. It's one of those most powerful cases of intercession in the entirety of the Bible. And we'll bring it up a lot over the course of this spring and summer in the exile period. Because you would not listen, Nebuchadnezzar will destroy Israel and ruin it. The entirety of Israel will become a wasteland. But here's the rest. And we have to understand Daniel and Babylon will probably be carrying around this prophecy for years. He's probably got copies of it on many scrolls in his in it for prayer time. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, he, he's the guy in Babylon, and he knows they'll be there for 70 years because of this scroll. And the reason they're in Babylon is listed in this prophecy. And there's clues, too, as to what 
God's going to do in that 70 years, and much less how the 70 years is going to come to an end. So he's got this roadmap for God's work in this 70-year span while he's in Babylon, which is, becomes 80-90% of his lifetime will be in this span of time covered by one prophecy. Jeremiah 25, 12. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and I will make it desolate forever. I will bring on it that land all the things I have spoken against it, all that are written in this book and prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations. They will themselves be enslaved by many nations and great kings, and I will pay them therefore for their deeds and the work of their hands. Now, I mean, that's clearly connected to the first part. But there's another section afterward. And they're not necessarily connected, but they are. I mean, you've got to consider that Daniel's got this roadmap, and he wants to know which sections are were spoken in certain times, or maybe there's other ones spoken in other times, and they're connected. But immediately after Jeremiah... 25:14 there's Jeremiah 25:15 which is very different so the next prophecy by Jeremiah must have been terrifying for Daniel to read for the likes of Daniel because he keeps a log of these prophecies in Babylon okay so the first section is about the 70 years and it's horrible Israel a wasteland that's bad it even speaks now to Babylon being a wasteland which is Daniel's future home. Well, Babylon, according to Herodotus, is the largest city in the world. It's an enormous populace, and it would be terrifying for him to walk every day to know it's going to be destroyed. How does a Christian, or a, at this time, a, a, a believer in God, handle the fact that the city that he's living in then, in exile, will soon be destroyed? So that's something to cover later. But the next verses could only cause an intercessor to tremble further. Jeremiah 25, 15. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup, filled with the wine of my wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. And when they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom he sent me drink it, Jerusalem and the towns of Judah, its king and officials, to make them a ruin and the object of horror and scorn a curse as they are today. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his attendants, his officials, and all his people, and all the foreign people there, all the kings of Uz, all the kings of the Philistines, Edom, Moab, and Ammon, all the kings of Tyre and Sidon, the kings of the coastland along the sea, Dedan, Tema, Buzz, and all those who are in the distant places, all the kings of Arabia and all the kings of the foreign people who live in the wilderness, all the kings of Zimri, Elam, and Media, and all the kings of the earth, near and far, one after the other, all the kings on the face of the earth, and after all of them, the king of Shishak will drink it too. Then tell them, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, drink, get drunk, and vomit and fall to rise no more, because of the sword I will send among you. But if they refuse to take the cup from your hand and drink it, tell them, 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. You must drink it. See, I'm beginning to bring disaster on the city that bears my name. And will you indeed go unpunished? You will not go unpunished, for I am calling down a sword on all who live on the earth, declares the Lord Almighty. Now prophesy all these things against them and say to them, The Lord will roar from on high. He will thunder from his holy dwelling and roar mightily against his land. He will shout like those who tread the grape, shout against all who live on the earth. The tumult will resound to the ends of the earth, for the Lord will bring charges against the nations, and he will bring judgment on all mankind and put the wicked to the sword, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Look, disaster is spreading from nation to nation. A mighty storm is rising from the ends of the earth. And at that time, those slain by the Lord will be everywhere, from one end of the earth to the other. And they will not be mourned or gathered up or buried, but will be like dung lying on the ground. Weep and wail, you shepherds. Roll in the dust, you shepherds of the flock, for your time to be slaughtered has come. You will fall like the best of the rams. The shepherds will have nowhere to flee. The leaders of the flock, no place to escape. Hear the cry of the shepherds, the wailing of the leaders of the flock. For the Lord is destroying their pasture. The peaceful meadows will be laid waste because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Like a lion, he will leave his lair, and their land will be desolate because of the sword of the oppressor and because of the Lord's fierce anger. Clearly, this is the end of the age. Or was it intended for another? This is what we'll cover later during Daniel's time in Babylon. And I believe, which we will cover later, this becomes Daniel's prayer map. I mean, the graphicness of what we just read. It, it can either make you just be revolted. And, you know, we're all revolted from that kind of destruction. It's just not natural. Um, and what does it cause you to do? Does it cause you to go, that's not my God. That's not, that's not the nature of, of good versus evil. This is not the nature of things. This is not right. It's a godly indignation. And what it does is it leads to a fire inside of a person. I was like, this cannot happen. And, and it comes back to that same solution. It's like you know, hardship comes, a challenge comes, it builds in you a character. Um, but in this case, this is this is a like a, a death threat of sorts of judgment, uh, which is not really a death threat as much as hey, this is the absolute consequence of all of these horrific sins and all of these things. And the only way out is true repentance. And that has to be the cry that's inside of, of Daniel and others as they keep these prophecies and read, read them. They don't want to read them so graphic, but the, the graphicness in them should inspire us to pray. And what we're going to find really interesting is, is there, there isn't enough repentance um, to save you know, the, the primary city these are addressed to. But later we're going to find that, you know, the absolute destruction of the city of Babylon will actually be averted. And, and that's, that's what we'll cover with Daniel. Um, 
it's not going to stop war, um, but the death toll from it will not happen. And, and it's going to be fascinating to see how a, a believer inside a wicked city fighting another wicked city can avert such disaster. So before we move on from, from Jeremiah, because there's so much going on, he's still prophesying. I mean, the guy's a machine, um, but he's but he's feeling the heartfelt emotion, and he gets this nickname of being the weeping prophet. And because he's there, he, he's there the worst of time. So before we move on too far from Jeremiah, there's more. Jeremiah starts to get his reputation as the weeping prophet. And we also learn in this next scene here of the prophet's reward that Baruch, his servant, gets. Um, and his reward is safety, physical safety in a time of, of judgment. Uh, but there's a heavenly reward for him. Jeremiah 45, when Baruch, son of Neriah, wrote on a scroll the words of Jeremiah, the prophet dictated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Jeremiah said this to Baruch. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you, Baruch. You said, Woe to me. The Lord has added sorrow to my pain, and I am worn out with groaning and find no rest. But the Lord has told me to say to you, This is what the Lord says. I will overthrow what I have built and uproot what I have planted throughout the earth. Should you then seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them, for I will bring disaster on all people, declares the Lord. But wherever you go, I will let you escape with your life. So there's a lot to read here. I mean, uh, these prophets at this stage, I mean, there's this is groaning and finding no rest. Uh, whether this was implying Jeremiah or Baruch, uh, they probably go hand in hand. And to consider how prophets have a gift of spiritual sensitivity, they have to hear from the Lord. There's, this is still different than emotional sensitivity. Take the prophet Elijah. I don't think the guy had emotions. Elisha, yes, but Elijah, no. He just it was an emotionless prophet. Um, his social skills, they weren't the best either. He never seemed to hear about his feelings or anything, just his actions. Uh, there is his breakdown moment, but this is more out of exhaustion than anything. King David, emotional sensitivity overload. You read the Psalms, he's all over the place. Jeremiah, he's a sap. Isaiah seems more like Elijah. Jeremiah sees and has his visions and emotionally seems to go through them. It said Jeremiah was groaning. This is intercession, but to no avail. He finds no rest in his prayer because the kings didn't seem to be listening. Judgment prophecy is wearing on the prophet. Looking ahead, Daniel will be undone by his visions. Emotionally charged as well. It's an interesting comparison of these prophets. You got the spiritual sensitivity, but what about the emotional side? Now Baruch receives his blessing. He would escape with his life. And Baruch further gets the tag-along reward in history. Every study of Jeremiah shows a very faithful servant in Baruch. And some traditions celebrate him more. The Muslims include more details on him. Uh, there was disputed search for his grave in world history. The Catholics have an apocrypha book on him. 
Baruch the faithful servant. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, Jeremiah is going to be in Jerusalem for some time, and he's a prophet in their midst, yet in hiding. He's right there in the capital of Jerusalem. Somehow the king can't find him, but he's there. Elisha did similar things. Elisha was there in Samaria in the sieges. He was hated or he was loved by kings as well. Jeremiah will be the same way. He's got friends, got lots of enemies. He's always faithful, though depressed at times, but he's there in the capital, a prophet to kings and nations. Now there's something else here. We have a rising up of prophets. Remember when prophets arose when Jezebel walked the earth? Now we have prophets arising, many, many of them speaking of the judgment to come. Isaiah was there for Hezekiah, but he repented. Jeremiah is here, and when they don't listen, God introduces Ezekiel. Daniel's rising up, and there's others. Prophet after prophet is calling for the nation to repent. Judgment is about to be poured out. Repent, repent, repent is the message. Israel, you must listen, for destruction is coming. Get on your knees, beseech God to forgive your sins, the sins of your family, your friends, your city, and call upon him to send revival, to end the spiritual drought and to pour out his presence and more blessings than you can measure. The cycle of sin has reached its full measure, but here's the problem. It's the Old Testament system. Here is what is required for sin and judgment to be repealed. With the exception of those who pursued the personal relationship route and circumvented the Old Testament written code and went straight to God like King David, those who ignored traditions in favor of relationship with God himself, those who found that they could be a friend to God and have relationship with him, those that tapped into the new covenant without the words of the paradigm to understand it yet, these are the ones who have made significant history in the Old Testament. But this route was hard. And this route was not normal. It was outside of the basic understanding of the time. And it was much harder because they didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of them like we do in the New Covenant. The outside forces of temptation could have only been comparable to the time when we were unbelievers. The internal compass is there, but in this time conviction came from without, not from within. So to walk in faithfulness was harder because purity was a much harder thing to achieve and to strive for in this time. Yet outside of the personal relationship approach, there was the law and the Old Testament way, the Levitical system. The Levites conducted their sacrifices and prayers to remove or bind, if you want to say it that way, the wickedness of the land. Individuals could pray as well and repent. The Levitical sacrifices would cover or bind or remove the sinfulness of the land. God's presence at the temple would draw favor and blessings. But when his presence was cursed by kings, different horrible things would happen. At the moment, faithful sacrifices have ended, and Israel's current sin is only added to the weightiness already resting on the land. Sin and curses on the land, especially shedding of innocent blood, invite judgments of God. Repent, repent, repent was the prophet's cry. 
the kings were obstinate, the priesthood was corrupted, and the prophet's cry falls on deaf ears. But the people could still cry out. When the leaders fail, the populace can still rise up and cry out to God for his deliverance. Unfortunately, we have no record of such in this time, and God seems to raise up more prophets for anyone to listen. In his grace, he assigns another prophet. In an age when mercy doesn't appear to be extended, it is. And it's the form of more prophets, more women, and more men declaring the words from God's heart. Repent, for destruction is coming. Jeremiah cries out from Jerusalem. Ezekiel encounters God in Babylon. Daniel begins his faithful journey. Other minor prophets are getting called out one by one to speak God's word. Repent, 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 for destruction is coming. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.